What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another great episode of Fraternity. I'm your little brother, Danny, and I'm here with my older brother, Sean. How's everybody doing tonight? And we're going to be talking about another great movie tonight. And I just want to say thank you to everyone that's listening to us or watching us on YouTube, listening to us on any platform of choice. We really appreciate it. And we are on a quest to get 1,000 downloads by the end of the year. That's right. Our Christmas present to Santa, or that's what we want from Santa, rather, is 1,000 downloads. We're just about at 600, and if we can get 400 downloads in that time frame between the end of the year, I think it's doable. I think we're on a great track to get it done, and I think we've got some great movies to talk about that people are going to want to hear about. So I think it's possible. I'm totally hopeful for it. But yeah, let's keep that push going for 1,000 by the end of 2021. Yeah, we drop our episodes on Fridays. And last week when we dropped Phantasm, we were unable to get it out. We got it out on Saturday and we had a really incredible weekend. So thank you to everybody who checked us out on a short weekend for us. And yeah, let's keep it going. Like I said at the end of the podcast, we're ending this season with a bang. So let's get to it. You definitely won't want to miss it. Now, Sean, why don't you tell the lovely listeners what we're going to be talking about tonight? Well, Danny, so far in the first semester of Fraternity, we've seen a lot of movies from the 80s. We've taken a trip into the 70s. And we took one jaunt into the 90s. But tonight, we're taking our first venture into the 2000s and discussing what I consider an unjustly forgotten film. Tonight, we're taking a look at the 2003 French slasher film that put Alexandre Aja on the map. That film is high tension. So Danny, had you ever heard of or seen this movie? Haven't heard of it, hadn't seen it, knew nothing about it until I clicked play. That is about it. <laughs> yeah, my knowledge of like 2000s or aughties, as some people like to call them, that era of film is uh, definitely a little dry. I definitely know not much <laughs> about stuff that came from that era. Well, I'll tell you, those early 2000s were a truly fun time to be a horror fan. The horror genre never dies, but of all the genres in cinema, its timeline has the most peaks and valleys, and the early 2000s were definitely the beginning of one of its greatest peaks. Danny Boyle reinvigorated the zombie film and brought that subgenre roaring back to life with 28 Days Later. We were treated to the debut film by Eli Roth when he put out Cabin Fever. Horror fans were finally treated to the long-awaited Freddy vs. Jason film. And then in 2003, we were treated to one of the greatest modern slasher films in high tension. I remember there was definitely a bit of a buzz surrounding this film, and I did go see this movie in the theater. It's the one and only time I got to a movie theater too early and walked in on the showing before mine. <laughs> it was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I've never done that. <laughs> you pretty damn early then. <laughs> yeah. What was the movie that was playing before? It was still high tension. And so I walked in and I was like, 
that's a weird trailer. And then I was like, damn, a lot of people are already here. And then I was like, oh, shit, this is the end of the movie. Let me get the hell out of here. <laughs> so did you spoil the movie before you even saw it? Luckily, I didn't have enough context. Yeah, there wasn't enough context for me to understand. But like I said, it was an exciting time because this was at the end of my teenage years. And it was great to have horror at the cinema. And it was great to be able to walk out of the movie theater actually satisfied. Like I also said, for some inexplicable reason, this movie seems to have been forgotten. I remember getting it on an uncut DVD, and I'm pretty sure there was a Blu-ray out there, but they always seemed really hard to find. This movie just sort of dropped off the map, and I'll even admit that before I decided we should cover it for the podcast, it had been years since I had even thought about it. So I want to give a bit of a warning here. This movie features quite a twist. And if we're going to give this movie the proper fraternity treatment it deserves, I think we have to begin at the end. Don't you agree? I agree. But I also think we should take this time right now to like maybe give a spoiler-free statement on why we like this film or recommend it. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I really recommend High Tension. It lives up to its name. It's a completely stressful movie, watching it front to back. The tension never ends. You're always on the edge of your seat. I swear, like, I want to hook someone up to, like, a, a heart monitor while they're watching this movie because I feel like my heart never stopped beating. I was always just like, oh god, like even from the beginning, like as soon as it starts, it just comes out the gate like with this unease to it. And it continues throughout the entire film. And with the twist in mind on a second viewing or on multiple viewings later, it might lose a little bit of that tension, but I think it makes up for it in plot complexity, and a deep story with deep themes. So I think this movie can be enjoyed on multiple levels, and I really enjoy it. I'm really excited to talk about it. I knew nothing about it, and I implore you, if you're interested, to just go and see it. You'll have a good time. It is controversial. There is a lot of gore and uncomfortable scenes, but if you're into that, then you're going to have a great time. Well said. and. Yeah, I mean, twist or no twist, this is just a brilliant masterclass in slasher cinema. Honestly, back in the day, I never gave the twist much thought. And even after the twist was revealed, the movie wasn't a, it wasn't a deal breaker for me. So, yeah, I definitely think anyone listening should watch the movie first. If they haven't seen it, you're going to get... One of the greatest home invasion sequences ever put to screen. It does live up to the name High Tension. It's a gorehound's dream. Well shot. Just everything is great about this movie. So definitely don't let us spoil it for you like we're about to right now. Danny, I'll give you the honors of giving us a quick synopsis and spoiler if you don't mind. Sure. This movie is a home invasion. We have our main character, Marie, and she's visiting her friend Alex's parents' home for a long weekend of studying, and they get invaded by a killer, and the parents and Alex's younger brother are killed, and Alex is taken into a truck, 
and the killer never knows that Marie is on the trail the entire time of the killer. And to keep it short, in the end, it is revealed that Marie has been the killer the whole time. And Marie killed Alex's family. She was the one driving the truck around. A lot of what we see is delusions that Marie is having. And yeah, that's high tension. It's, uh, you know, it's got that Fight Club twist. (laughs) Yeah, this film flips the slasher genre formula on its head in unique and interesting ways. And one of the ways it does this is indeed by featuring a female killer. It's not unique to this film or the first time we've seen it, but it's still rare. And there's definitely more to it here. Everyone knows that the slasher genre has long been attacked as misogynistic. Out of all the slasher films out there, there may be a few, and I want to emphasize a few that actually earn that criticism. For the most part, that criticism has come from reactionary and uninformed moral crusaders who just love to piss on a good time. This film takes that criticism of a genre that Alexander Aja truly loves and uses it to craft this awesome twist narrative. There are multiple ways for someone to enjoy high tension. I don't think there's a wrong or a right way. The twist may not work for everyone, and that's okay. But for the sake of this episode of Fraternity, what I want to do is take a deep analytical look at the happenings in this film and view them through a lens that puts a spotlight on the twist so that we may better understand it. Perhaps in the end, we may give the creators too much credit, but at the end of the day, this is all in good fun. So let's have some. I agree with everything you said. You know, it's really well shot. The cinematography is beautiful. Um, Just the way it's edited and the score is just, it's top notch. And I think it deserves to be talked about. But before we get into it, I just wanted to say we have a Twitter. You can follow us, at us, anything of the like. DM us if you're feeling adventurous. Our Twitter, our handle is at Fraternity. That's at Fraternity. You can email us. We have an email. Send us anything you like. Our email is Fraternity at gmail.com. That's Fraternity at gmail.com. And we have a YouTube channel where we upload previous episodes with a little bit of a visual twist, so you're just going to have to go over there and click and find out what exactly it is. So you go over to YouTube, type in Fraternity, and you subscribe, and you hit that bell, and you help us, and then you have a great time listening or re-listening to the episodes that you're a fan of. So do all that. It would help us out. And if you like the show, you can rate us. You can write a review. Anything of the sorts, it would really help us out. Again, we're trying to get 1,000 downloads by the end of the year. I think we can do it. I'm looking to be the number one horror podcast on the internet, and I ain't stop until we are. Ain't that right, Sean? I believe it in my heart. We are the number one, but we got to prove it. Definitely. And tis the season. So ring that bell, put them thumbs up, show us the love, and it will be reciprocal. Absolutely. We, we love you for listening. We love anyone that's given us any time. We really, we really appreciate it. So much like what we're doing here, this movie starts at the end. 
we see a young woman named Mary rocking back and forth in an undisclosed location. And we can see that she is healing from several severe wounds spread across her body. And she repeatedly utters this phrase, I won't let anyone come between us. We then find her stumbling through the woods, gripping a stomach wound, her arm wrapped with a makeshift tourniquet. We don't know how she's been wounded, but she's in a pretty grave situation. And then we see a car driving through a two-lane street surrounded by the woods. Marie jumps out in front of the car and causes the driver to screech to a halt. As he attempts to restart the car, Marie slams against his window in desperation and pleads for his assistance. Again, I think this movie comes out the gate with this, you know, for lack of a better term, high tension. And you've got this chase sequence almost in the middle of this forest and the score has all those stings that work really well. Then it even has a little bit of a scare when Marie, like, slams on the window of the driver side and is like help me she screams help me and you know from that point on you're just like "Uh oh like i know something bad is going to happen you know in this movie i don't know what yet but you just have this feeling that it's coming and it's just so expertly woven through the film and it's i can't state it enough it's really well done i've never seen a film just have this tension just it's so effortless you know yeah definitely so marie suddenly wakes up in the backseat of a car being driven by her friend alex she lights up a cigarette and describes the dream she just had and that we just witnessed the girls are driving to alex's parents house to study we do get some important character development here as the girls talk while it isn't inherently apparent quite yet we are going to quickly figure out that Marie is a lesbian who is fond of Alex, right? Right. Yeah, Marie is kind of making fun of Alex for kind of having a one-night stand with this boy, and she's calling her a whore and all this. And we definitely feel something's a little bit off with Marie. Yeah, the problem is Marie is in the closet and not completely open about her sexuality. And as we're going to see... These repressed feelings are going to manifest in some extremely unhealthy ways. And yeah, you're right. You know, we get a glimpse into Mary's attitude towards men here, because in her mind, all men are pigs. She has that bad habit of attacking and degrading Alex whenever she expresses hetero attractions or hetero experiences. She's basically slut shaming her here. And just acting really bitter. Right. I like, too, uh, there's a bit of a, of a hint hint for the twist later on because Maria's describing her dream and she's like, you know, it was weird. In the dream, I was chasing myself like it was me chasing me. And as we know, Marie suffers from some sort of split personality type of deal here in this film. But again, that's the twist and it'll come later. But we're gonna walk you through it with the uh with the twist in mind i think people will appreciate that we get a nice arms out the window jam session here as the girls turn the radio up (laughs) then we cut to alex's parents farm and we see her mother hanging laundry and we get some truly horrendous child dubbing here if there is one thing to knock about this movie it's this child (laughs) dub 
I mean, you might as well say all the dubbing. I don't know. It didn't bother me, if I'm being honest. But I'll just say I'm not a fan of, like, dubbing. Like, I wish, kind of wish I had seen the sub, but, you know, I'll live with it. It's fine. <laughs> the kid dubbing was pretty egregious, if you ask me. I didn't mind it. What does he the say? Dubbing. I don't even remember. I've wiped it from my memory. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> But now we get to a scene that definitely presents the biggest issue in relation to the twist. Because near the farmhouse, we see a man parked in the ultimate creeper truck. And he's getting a BJ. But then we see that he's performing the sex act on himself with the severed head of a young woman. And he plops it out the window and drives off. What did you make of this scene here? It's just gruesome and vulgar and abhorrent. <laughs> but it's interesting when you think about the twist because the killer, as he's called, this guy in a truck, this big kind of worker man who kills the family later on, you know, the killer is like another side of Marie's personality or he's a completely separate entity, whatever you want to call him. And I just think it's interesting. It's like, this is kind of going on in Marie's mind. Like this is almost like what she's thinking about because the severed head that he dumps out of the, of his truck is a brunette. So I'm automatically thinking like, Oh, brunette, Alex is a brunette. Marie likes Alex. You know, she's kind of like thinking about Alex and in that sexual way. And I think the truck, I think the killer here represents Marie's like sexual frustration. I think this is, what that means right here it's kind of representing that that's interesting man because i'll be honest how this scene fits into the narrative in relation to the twist is hard for me to justify because again this killer doesn't exist and i like the way you put it that makes sense like i could roll with that but part of me thinks it's sort of a product of a young horror filmmaker having a cool idea for a shocking scene and just putting it in here narrative be damned <laughs> i think it works because as we're gonna get into it there are a lot of scenes where it's like when you think about them with the twist in mind it's like what is even going on here in real life like realistically like this makes no sense but at the same time i'm like this is a very like abstract movie in its story and tone and it's told through the eyes of Marie, who is an unreliable narrator. So I'm also like, is the viewer even owed like a concrete explanation? I think the movie is like, you know, being abstract for a reason. And it's like, yeah, some of this stuff doesn't make sense, but it's more of like a puzzle to kind of figure out and kind of piece together yourself. And there is no right or wrong answer. I think that's something I, at first I was like, you know, this kind of has plot holes. But at the same time, I'm like, well, that's kind of the fun of it, though, is, like, figuring out, like, okay, maybe this is really what happened, and, you know, maybe on screen, you know, we just saw some delusion. I don't know. I'm okay with it. You know, I've, I've gone back and forth with it, but rewatching it, I really appreciated it for, you know, not spelling it out. There's nothing worse than a twist that just spells it out for you and, like, shows a bunch of flashbacks that, like, explain the entire plot. For me, I'm like, yeah, like... Leave me in the dark, you know, I like to be scared, you know, I like to be, I, I like to have something to ponder, you know, 
like lost. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up. Shit. Here we go again. <laughs> Sorry, every time I bring up lost, I'll, I'll put a dollar in a jar. And at the end of the year, I'll give it to Sean. Fuck. Okay, I'll, I'll try not to bring up lost. <laughs> I agree with everything you just said. And I just want to make a few more points about this little BJ in a truck scene is... One thought I had is maybe it's there to represent how close a danger is lurking because he's right on the other side of the cornfields. But right. also, like you said, you know, this can represent Marie's sexual frustration. But another important thing to take note of is regardless of that, this is our first look at Marie's mental representation of men because Marie does not like men. She isn't attracted to men. In her mind, men are evil, sex-crazed, disgusting slobs, like we see here. And she assigns the dark parts of her psyche to that due to her own self-image of being virginal and virtuous. She's sort of played out like a final girl. But this movie is going to flip that concept upside down. Yeah, absolutely. Why is Marie projecting herself onto a fat, ugly bastard? I don't know, but... It works. <laughs> so after a false scare in the cornfields leading up to the house, the girls finally arrive. And clearly it's late because Alex's cowboy obsessed brother couldn't make it. He's asleep. But Alex's father welcomes them to the house and they head upstairs to settle in. Once settled in, the two girls eat dinner downstairs. And this scene just reinforces some of our insights. Because Alex talks of being attracted to a man who is in a relationship. Alex thinks a taken man must be worth it and expresses skepticism about single men. And once again, Marie assigns her worst suspicions upon this possible suitor. She also gets extremely defensive and attacks Alex yet again when the conversation turns to sex and coupling. Clearly with Marie being in the closet, it has led her to develop this prudish disposition. She has an unhealthy amount of unspoken and unacted upon feelings eating her up inside. So she decides to go outside and have a cigarette to retreat from this conversation. And while Marie is outside, she looks up and notices Alex's naked body in the window as she showers. And if the viewer hasn't picked up on Marie's attraction up to this point, this scene does the job in solidifying it here. Yeah, again, these scenes are reinforcing, like, Marie's disgust towards straight people, I guess. And, you know, she makes fun of Alex again for, you know, going after this guy. And, yeah, we see her staring at Alex through the window and her bare breasts while she's taking a shower. And yeah, if you didn't get it, then you definitely get it now that Marie has some sort of attraction towards Alex. Did you notice that Alex had a flower blocking her coochie? A lot like Kendall in pieces? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. That's a deep no, cut homage there, huh? <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Marie goes upstairs and she's staying up in this guest room and she puts on some headphones. And we're about to be treated to a masturbation scene set to some reggae. And I think it's safe to assume that Marie has probably never been penetrated. What do you think? <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's hard to say. I mean, I can't 
I'm not a woman. I can't speak on that. But uh, let's go with yeah. <laughs> well, while Marie diddles herself, we notice the creeper truck from earlier approaching the house while everyone else is asleep. Marie finishes herself off and she notices the dog barking downstairs. So she walks toward the window and is startled to hear the doorbell buzz. This also awakens Alex's dad, who goes downstairs to inspect. And when he opens the door, he's confronted by the silhouette of a rather large man. The truck headlights blindingly shine from behind him. Marie can see the intruder from outer window and watches in horror as he lifts a blade and slashes it down across Alex's father's face. He then reaches inside and unlocks the door. So, again, I said there might be some perceived plot holes or weird things to think about, to say the least. And one of them is like, okay, what's really going on in this scene? Because we know Marie is the killer. So does that mean, like, Marie was never upstairs at all? Did she ring the doorbell? Uh... I don't know, I just find this stuff really fascinating. Like, I love when a movie tells me, like, you know, what you just saw didn't really happen. Like, you're going to have to piece it together. Um, One of my favorite films ever. It's not horror, but it's The Usual Suspects, and that's an aspect of that film. It's like, what did I even watch? Like, was any of that real? And I feel like that happens here. It's like, you know, let me try to think about this logically. And I really appreciate it because it's like, You know, while Marie is masturbating on screen, we do get the image of the truck approaching the house. And again, it's, I think, representing Marie's sexual urges and her repressed urges about Alex here. And when she finishes, it's like that's when the killer is inside and, you know, he goes on his killing spree. I just think it's fascinating. It's it. It's very layered. I can think about it all day and come up with theories or whatever, but it's just fun. Well, once we get a little more into this home invasion sequence, I'll tell you my interpretation of what's going on here. We're getting very close. And I think we have to view what's going on here beyond the physical. And I'll explain in just a minute. But first, we got to... Deal with a very Let's set the scene. We got to deal with a very <laughs> sad moment because the family dog is killed, Danny. Oh, not the pupper. Yeah, the pup. How many dogs have been killed? How many dogs have been killed in Fraternity episodes? I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> At least a couple. I know there's a few in there. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to count a cat, you know, reanimator, but <laughs> no <laughs> cross promotion. We're not hey, counting. Go listen to that episode. <laughs> So the injured dad crawls up the stairs, but he's confronted by this burly man who places his boot against the back of his head and forces his skull through the railing. And with his head head (laughs) caught between the rails, we watch as the killer lines up a dresser and pushes it towards the dad, and the heavy wooden dresser slides across the floor and collides with his head, brutally decapitating him. What did you think of this kill here? I think I figured it out. I think I just love decapitations. (laughs) Am I the only one? Yeah, I said before, decapitations are always two thumbs up for me. It's just creative, you know? You gotta think about 
it's just scary the thought of your head popping off you know like a like a tab on a soda can or a <laughs> or whatever it's just scary but it's also just you know it's just awesome to see yeah um, it's yeah brutal. I, I really like this kill it it's gory <laughs> yeah this kill also awakens alex's mother and she goes downstairs and is confronted by the killer but here's the thing we know that marie is actually the killer and this man doesn't exist so like you were saying how are we supposed to explain what exactly is going on here after the twist there's no question that marie is the killer so what we have here is Marie's mental manifestation of her inner darkness. I like to call the killer her dark half. And you gotta remember that most villains do believe they're operating from a path of righteousness. So Marie ascribes her own lustful feelings and deranged actions upon her representation of the vile male. I talked earlier about how slasher films were unjustly mislabeled as misogynistic, And one thing people would say is that the murder weapons were phallic in nature. (laughs) You could look at the massive kitchen knife that Michael Myers wields, Jason's machete, or even the drill used in the Slumber Party Massacre films. A film series that brilliantly lampoons some egregious misogynistic tropes of the slasher genre. Yet here, since the killer is a representation created by our female lead, and she has an unfavorable view of men, we see that he wields a tiny little razor. That's really interesting to bring up. I would have never thought of that. (laughs) Definitely something to think about. There's some food for thought there. It may be small, but it gets the job done. (laughs) That's what my girlfriend says. (laughs) Also notice that Marie bears witness to the killings. Despite separating herself from the actual events, she does see them play out. So I think what we're seeing from this point on, when we are with Marie, is Marie is the representation of whatever is left of her conscience. We get a very tense moment up next where Marie has to hide from the killer as he searches her room. She literally has to hide from herself. Her conscience is shielding itself from her wicked side. And her evil side is willing and wanting to kill that conscience. Marie also makes several attempts to call for help, but things never line up. She's not capable of stopping herself. Absolutely. I agree 100% because, yeah, in my mind, I think Marie has kind of made this killer personality to kind of separate herself from the deeds that she's doing. You know, she kind of has to make this separate entity. So she can separate her true self away from it. You know, she can kind of, you know, in the end of the movie, you know, she's even confused when Alex confronts her. Like, get away from me. Like, you killed my family. Like, Marie is even confused. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't, you know, I killed him. I killed the evil man that killed your family. And, you know, Marie has to, like, separate her consciousness in any way she can to keep herself away from that guilt. You touched upon it earlier, and yeah, I think it's safe to say that Marie definitely suffers from an undiagnosed personality disorder. So that can sort of explain the fractured perspectives here. I like after the killer searches the guest room, 
we get a fantastically creepy scene where Alex is asleep in her room. And as the killer fondles her hair, we notice she wears earplugs when she sleeps. So she's oblivious. And this is something Marie may well have known. But he awakens her with a razor to the throat. And as she looks up startled, he places a finger over his mouth to tell her to be quiet. And I really like that shot. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it's just, again, it's fun to just like kind of have this imagery in your head of Marie being in place of the killer here and imagining what's really going on. And it's like, wow, could you imagine waking up and you're someone you thought that was your friend has like murdered your family and is now tying you up and doing all this heinous stuff to you? It's 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 crazy. Marie ends up sneaking into the parents' bedroom in search of a phone. And she has to retreat into a closet as someone approaches, and we see it's Alex's mom. She's badly beaten and dazed, but she herself goes for the phone. The killer then can be heard approaching, and Alex's mom starts to go for the closet, but she ends up getting caught and has her throat slit as Marie watches through the slats, and her wound widens with every gasp before she falls to the floor. Pretty savage throat slitting here. Yeah, it's almost uh, unbelievable how nasty and gross that throat cut is. I don't know, it's just this deep, nasty gash opening wider and wider. (laughs) Yeah, we then see Marie wince in terror as blood sprays against the closet. And afterwards, Marie exits and we get a great shock when the mother twitches as Marie approaches. She's just barely clinging to life. And it's here that we also see the killer has sliced her hand off. Yeah, that little shock there got me. I think it'd get anyone. It's a really well-placed jump scare. (laughs) Definitely. Marie grabs the phone just as Alex's little brother goes running down the hall. And we see the killer give chase. So Marie takes this opportunity to go to Alex's room to check in on her. We see that Alex has been bound with chains and gagged with a rubber hose. And while Marie frets with the chains, we hear the little brother screaming for his mommy outside in the cornfields. And then we see the killer grab a shotgun from his truck. And not long after that, the girls hear two shots fired. So we've got the murder of a young boy here. If you didn't think this movie was going there, it was going there. Yeah, it went there. And uh it reminds me of a of another movie that I want that I'm sure we'll get to eventually. But uh You said you said movie, so I know it's not lost. No. Uh I think that's the end of my lost references for today's <laughs> episode. But you you never know. <laughs> Alex is in rough shape here mentally, and Marie attempts to consoler she makes the point that if the killer wanted to kill her he would have done it already and it's funny because alex is never capable of speaking in this scene so we can only assume that if marie had some mental lapse and did this it would be a real moment of pouring salt in the wound (laughs) yeah that's what i find interesting is it's like did this even happen at all was marie ever up here you know Because we do see, like, Alex's reaction to the shooting of her little brother. And it's like, 
yeah, who knows? Like, who knows what's really going on here? But it's just uh, really fascinating to think about all the little intricacies of the of the film. But yeah, it definitely is salt in the wound. Either way, if Marie is here trying to console Alex when Alex is witness to all the horrible things she's been doing tonight. So Marie heads downstairs and she has to hide as the killer carries Alex to his truck and tosses her in the back. But the killer hears a noise when Marie opens a drawer and arms herself with a knife. So he enters the house again to take a look around. And at the same time, Marie jumps into the back of the truck and she waits for the man ready to strike him down with her blade. But when he walks towards the back of the truck, he just shuts the door and traps both of the women in the back. And we also see that he takes one trophy from the house. He cuts Alex out of a family photo. And then as the truck leaves, we get a last few shots of the victims in this horrific scene. So after the home invasion, things begin to get a little screwy. (laughs) Marie and Alex are trapped in the back of this truck. Marie is trying to figure out a way to escape, but Alex is completely inconsolable. And the girls notice that the interior of this truck is full of signs of struggle and death. Now there is an argument to be made that perhaps Marie's conscience is what we are seeing trapped in this awful scenario she created. But it's hard to deny that this little section of the film kind of falls apart under any sort of scrutiny. It definitely comes off as filler, even though it does lead to the beginning of the twist reveal. I think the gas station scene is another situation where the filmmakers were just demonstrating their slasher film capabilities in regards to the technical aspects of filmmaking, rather than actually servicing their narrative. Um, yeah, I think the gas station scene and everything that's going on right now is definitely, like I said, you can shine a light on this film and pick out a thousand plot holes. Does the mo- is the movie even trying to tell a coherent narrative or is it trying to, you know, pass upon these themes through the lens of an unreliable narrator? So... Like I said, sometimes I'm like, this is just weird, and like, what is really going on here? But at the same time, I'm like, does it even really matter, you know? And I find myself fascinated with the movie every time I watch it, so despite how much scrutiny or nitpicking you want to do, I still enjoy it, and I still really like this film. But yeah, the gas station scene is definitely weird, but I also think... It sticks It sticks out like a sore thumb, but I think in both a good way and a bad way. Yeah, the truck pulls into this gas station, and the killer goes to pump the gas. Murray gives Alex the knife she took from the kitchen, and she darts for the convenience store to find help. And there is some really good tension here with the gas pump ticking away the gallons, Murray creeping toward the store and having to dart for cover when she hears it stop. <laughs> Yeah, I love, love, love that the gas pump, like, ticking up, you know, represents, like, the timer that Marie has to get away, and then it stops, and then she's like, oh shit, and she makes a run for the convenience store. She begs the store clerk for assistance, but then he quickly has to serve the killer while Marie ends up hiding in the store, and we can tell the clerk is tense. 
and it isn't long before the killer also picks up on this. He ends up asking the clerk to get him some alcohol, and when the clerk turns, he gets struck in the chest by an axe. And I like the detail of the killer standing on his back and just using his weight to push the dying clerk deeper onto the axe blade. <laughs> yeah, some great uh, foley there with the sound of the axe going into his chest. <laughs> Next, we get a great maniac-inspired hide-and-seek sequence in the bathroom stalls. Did you notice how inspired by maniac this scene was? Dude, of course. I was like, this is straight out of Maniac. This is great. I love it. I was like, holy shit. Even, you know, she's checking all the stalls and like she has that sense of like relief when she realizes the killer isn't there. And then she goes to drink the water just like the girl for Maniac. I'm like, holy shit. This is fucking awesome. <laughs> and then she raises up it. and there's no killer. And this time the female survives. Because it would be impossible for her not to. Because no one is stalking her. Yeah, this is an incredible homage to one of our favorite films. Definitely. Joe Spinell would be proud, I think. <laughs> so Marie ends up getting left behind because the truck leaves. And she decides to use the phone in the store to call the police. But she becomes frustrated as she can't tell the police where she is exactly. So she ends up hanging up on him, and then she finds a gun and a set of keys to the clerk's car, and she takes off after the truck. Marie is able to catch up to the truck. She follows it down some long and twisting back roads. Her conscience and her dark half are on a collision course here. She is about to have no choice but to confront herself, and her dark half ends up growing wise and manages to turn the tables. And as the dark half chases her conscience, she ends up in a violent crash. And we see that it was this car accident that caused some of the wounds we could see on her body earlier. The killer grabs a flashlight and hunts Marie through some old, decrepit greenhouses. And she ends up grabbing a fence post and twists it around multiple times, wrapping some barbed wire still connected to it into a weapon and Marie's dark half ends up getting the jump on her after setting a pretty clever trap because the killer hangs his flashlight from his belt and when Marie goes after the light he attacks her from behind and he wraps a sheet of plastic around her face and begins to choke her out and eventually she collapses to the ground and the killer begins to fondle her with the razor questioning her interest in Alex and expressing his own desires. And we start to get a bit of forced oral finger stimulation here. But Marie <laughs> manages to find a large rock in the dirt, and she grips it and delivers an absolutely crushing blow to his temple. Yeah, it's brutal. It's like he goes up to feel his temple and it's just bleeding. It's like, ooh, that must have hurt. <laughs> his skull is cracked. Yeah, we're literally seeing a battle between two personalities here. I mean, that's kind of the whole movie, isn't it? Is the fight for, you know, the light or the consciousness between these two different personalities. Yeah, like Marie stands up and she grabs her barbed wire fence post and just smashes the killer in the face. And it's great because 
we see her have to forcefully tug it back out of his flesh. And we can, yeah, we can I, lo- I love this barbed wire, <laughs> this barbed wire, like sticking to his face and it, and it gives the killer some nasty scarring, especially later on. We'll see that it's still there and it's just, oh, it's gross. Amazing makeup job for sure. Yeah. Great special effects. She ends up giving him a few more whacks, completely mangling his face. He falls down and slides under some plastic. And as Marie inspects his unrecognizable face, he springs to life and they both begin to choke one another. So Marie's conscience ends up defeating her dark half here, which is a real problem. Because unbeknownst to her at this point, she has caused irreconcilable damage. And I said earlier, and you said earlier, it's safe to assume that Marie has some personality disorders. And as we're seeing here and going to see more, she truly has ascribed all of her deeds here to this non-existent individual. But we're also about to get our first look at the twist reveal. Because we see some police officers arrive at the gas station, and they enter the store and discover the corpse of the axe-murdered clerk. And while one of the officers radios for more assistance, the detective looks over the security camera footage, and this is where we see that it is indeed Marie who is responsible for all of the murder in this film. So what were your first impressions here when you saw this twist reveal for the first time? Um, I love it. I mean, you know, as overrated or, you know, as much of a big film Fight Club may be, and I don't even think Fight Club necessarily is the beginning of this trope. I just think it's the most popular of the split personality type of trope. Sorry, I just spoiled Fight Club. You had 20 years. There's no Um, moratorium (laughs) on it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, I think... I love this trope. I'm always a big fan of the split personality twist in a movie. I think it's really fascinating. I think it's underexplored, and I think you can do a lot with it outside of it just being, you know, a split personality. And I think this movie manages to do that because I think, again, it is like Marie trying to get rid of her guilt over these heinous things that she's doing to Alex and her family. And she's trying to separate herself because of her love for Alex, because she's so in love with Alex. And yeah, I just think it's fascinating. I'm always a big fan of the split personality slash tulpa, whatever you want to call it. I'm a big, uh, big, uh, big fan of it. And I've always, I always like people's twists on it. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm just a fan. I can't say anything other than that. You know, it's just as simple as that. I like it. I enjoy this twist, and again, I think it deepens the story here. You know, what may have been a simple home invasion or revenge thriller, again, turns into something very deep and thought-provoking and abstract and avant-garde, and I'm all for it, you know. I think this elevates the movie into a degree that is higher you know, than the sum of its parts. So I love it. Very cool. I definitely think this film was ahead of its time and we're creeping up on our high tension filled finale here because we find the truck 
parked in the woods that we saw at the beginning of the film. And Marie jumps in the back and goes to rescue Alex. She's undoing her chains, removing her gag, and showing her affection all the while after this long and terrifying journey. But we can tell that something is off, right? You know, we know what Marie has done. And then now we piece it together like, oh shit. That means Alex has seen everything that's happened this entire movie and knows that Marie is the killer and has kind of watched her do all these terrible things to her family. And so Alex, yeah, she has that this knife that Marie left with her earlier at the gas station. And then when Marie finally unties Alex, Alex yells back like, get away from me. Like, you killed my family, my little brother, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and again, Marie is confused at being confronted with these facts. You know, she does not realize that she has been the killer. She does not, it does not compute in Marie's head. She's like, what are you talking about, Alex? Like, I killed him. You're safe. Like, I saved you. Like, what are you even saying? And finally, this culminates in Alex stabbing Marie in the stomach with the knife. Yeah, before she stabs her, though. Like you said, like, Marie can't comprehend that she did this. But we do start to see the home invasion murders with Alex in place of the killer. So we see here... Right, you get, you get those Kaiser Soze shots. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we see here that Marie's repression of her lesbianic lust for Alex caused her to mentally snap and go on this rampage. Like she kept uttering in the beginning of the film, she won't let anything come between us, whether that's a heterosexual relationship or her own family. Her obsession has driven her mad. And yeah, like you said, she plunges the knife into her stomach, but she also gives her that wicked slash across the face. Oh yeah, she gets this nasty deep cut right across her cheek. Yeah, and then Alex takes off running through the woods. And the next time we see Marie pulling the blade out of herself, we see that she has transformed into the killer, symbolizing that her dark half has been reborn. Yeah, I like that, you know, Alex's dismissal or rejection of Marie's wants brings out the killer again, and the killer is reborn, you know, through this rejection, through realizing that Alex wants nothing to do with her. The killer grabs a giant concrete cutting saw out of the truck, <laughs> and you know something bad's gonna happen with this thing, right? <laughs> right. I like how we see Alex running through the woods. I like how we saw Marie running at the beginning of the film. And we also get shots of the killer in pursuit of Alex, but sometimes it cuts to where it's actually Marie giving chase. Again, I love that. I love when... You know, you intersplice, you know, the manifestation with the real person back and forth. Like, uh, you know, I can't say it enough. I really love this trope. It's a favorite of mine. What else can I say? <laughs> it's bellissimo, huh? <laughs> Eventually, we see the car from before. And the scene plays out identical to the dream sequence in the beginning. So this left me wondering just how deranged Marie has become. It almost seems like in her twisted mind, she has even found a way to make herself the victim. Right, yeah, definitely. 
So Alex jumps into the back of this car as the driver tries to start the engine. Marie's dark half jumps on the hood and penetrates the windshield with this giant circular saw. And this driver is brutally murdered with blood splattering all over the interior of the car. Alex just gets covered in blood. Yeah, I just love Alex screaming in terror while she's just getting splattered with all this blood. and Even her teeth couple- are red. <laughs> right? You even get a couple quick cuts of the, uh, of the driver just getting mutilated here. Yeah, Marie, as the killer, continues to attack the car until Alex escapes through the broken windshield. And we see Alex on the street, covered in gore, and she's injured by this giant piece of glass stuck deep in her Achilles tendon. Oh, I hate shit like that. (laughs) I do too. This might be the worst uh, gore of the film, you know. Say what you want about a decapitation, but a piece of glass stuck in your Achilles tendon, and she pulls it out too. My leg is tensing up right now, Danny, stop. (laughs) It's just... Oh, it's gory, and it looks like uh, you can see her bones and, like, the insides of her foot. Nasty. (laughs) Yeah, she's unable to walk, and she's just scooting away from Marie as she stalks her with this giant saw in her face. And it isn't until, in a bid for self-preservation, Alex is forced to profess a love for Marie that Marie transforms back into herself. And then we get a blood-splattered girl-on-girl kiss, Danny. Yeah, Maria's like, you don't love me, do you, Alex? And Alex has to say, like, I do love you, I love you, I love you. And then this causes, this causes Marie's personality to shift from the killer back to, you know, the innocent Marie. And yeah, they do share a kiss, but it ends with a stabbing from Alex. And Alex stabs Marie the shoulder with this crowbar marie is defeated by getting penetrated by a long hard shaft danny (laughs) that's her least favorite thing in the world (laughs) yep and as the camera pulls back we hear marie start to repeat the phrase from before i won't let anyone come between us and then we have a bit of an epilogue here we find ourselves back at the beginning of the film And now we see that Marie is recovering from her injuries in an asylum or a hospital. And she's handcuffed to the bed. And then we see that Alex is looking in on her from the safety of a two-way mirror. And she asks someone on the staff if Marie can see her or not for reassurance. And Marie then looks up towards the mirror and a smile spreads across her face. And she reaches out for Alex with handcuffed arms. And that's the end of our movie. So I think it's safe to say that you really like this movie. I really enjoy it. I think it's fun to watch. Again, I'll reiterate that it's fun to watch as a first time viewing, not knowing where the film is going. It, it's a really masterful take of this home invasion genre, and it takes it to the extremes. But then the twist happens, and I feel like it completely shifts the way the movie is perceived and felt and i really like it for that too so yeah i'm a big fan great performances all around the killer marie alex they all do an outstanding job the directing is great the cinematography is awesome i just love the look of this film 
The score is awesome. Yeah, I can't praise this film enough. I really enjoyed it. And again, this is what Fraternity is all about. You know, you're sharing these films with me. And, you know, I love when I find a film that, you know, I probably would have never, it probably would have taken me a while to find this film on my own. And, you know, you showed it to me and you're sharing it with me. And I really enjoy it. So thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. (laughs) And I hope other people listen to this episode and, watch it too. You know, that's what I hope for is that we can turn you on to movies you may not have seen or have any interest in. Celebrating horror with fond memories and fresh perspectives. That's what we're all about here. Yeah, this movie uh, definitely coincides with our goals of this entire show. So yeah, I'm I'm really happy with uh, talking about this film and reviewing it. So awesome. awesome. Awesome indeed, man. So that is 2003's High Tension. But before we get out of here, did you find yourself a favorite kill, Danny? My favorite kill should be of no surprise. It's got to be that decapitation with the dresser or whatever it is. (laughs) Some big piece of furniture (laughs) decapitating a man who's stuck in the rails of a staircase. It's awesome. You know it's coming, but you still wince when his head comes off. and. It's also scary. Marie's got to be pretty damn strong to push that <laughs> dresser. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's, it's definitely unique. That's, that's my favorite kill. There's definitely a couple kills you can choose from, but I think for the most part, the kills are kind of pretty all equal in their gore factor or delivery, but that's just my favorite. Again, I'm a fan of decapitation. <laughs> awesome. How about you, Sean? Favorite kill? I have to go with the throat slashing scene of Alex's mother. I think it's one of the best throat slashing practical effects ever produced. It's super violent. And at that point in the film, on a first time watch, you do feel bad for Marie as she is forced to watch this from the closet. I love the way this room is lit. I love the camera angles, the coverage. There's not a wasted shot in this sequence. The way her slit throat gapes open more and more as she gasps for breath. The blood starting to pour out. The blood splattering against the slats on the closet. And then the coup de grace when Marie approaches the now handless mother and she has that final squirm of consciousness. I can still remember that scene playing out in the movie theater. And it was a shocking moment. It got everybody in that movie theater. It's well done. That's all I can say. It's a great jump scare. It's a, it's a well-deserved and earned jump scare. It's very startling, not to mention upsetting. It made you wince in your chair. And for that, it's an unforgettable moment and my favorite kill. Awesome. Yeah, I love that kill too. Uh, just when she gets her neck slit, you know, it's like I'm struggling to compare it to something, but it just sounds like an orange or an apple breaking in half or something. I don't know. It's it's nasty. (laughs) So did you have a favorite scene, Danny? Uh, My favorite scene, it might be contested. It might be debated. It might have the most plot holes of the whole film. But you know what? I love the gas station scene. Interesting. From when the killer starts filling up the tank all the way up to when... The poor store clerk, Jimmy, let's just take a moment for Jimmy because he's innocent in all of this. <laughs> he really didn't deserve to die. <laughs> Good point. 
up until he dies, it's just great. I think the tension almost peaks here. We didn't talk about it much, but Jimmy and the killer have this banter back and forth. And this conversation may not have happened at all in reality, but it serves the scene in building that tension. And you're just on the edge of your seat wondering like, oh no, like, is this killer... Does he know what's up? Does he know Marie is in here? Does he know that Jimmy saw Marie? Like, oh, like, you know, it's the nail biter scene. And again, I think it exemplifies the strengths of the filmmaking with the tension that it builds. And I like Jimmy getting killed with this axe, you know, out of nowhere. It's just brutal. And yeah, I think this is the peak of the tension. You know, I do think the tension continues on after this for sure. But this like middle point of the movie is maybe the high point for me. And I just think it's expertly crafted in every sense of the way. Again, I love those shots of the the gas station pump counting up as it's counting down the seconds left that Marie has to escape her own conscious. I love it. I think it's great. Awesome. Well said. Yeah, I mean, it gets a little screwy in regards to the twist narrative, but like I said, I think they were showing off and everyone working on this film was very capable in crafting fantastic tension and just a great slasher film. So you can enjoy this scene multiple ways and cool, man. I'm glad you liked it that much. I think it stands alone, for sure. You can just watch this scene and you still feel the tension. You understand what it's getting at. And twist or not, it's an effective scene. Well put. So, Sean, how about your favorite scene? I'm very interested in what you pick. I have to go with the final chase in the woods with the attack on the car. I've always liked how this scene is lit. It's got a nice, calm, morning-in-the-woods vibe. But then it just devolves into this epic, over-the-top bloodbath of a finale. Both our girls end up just drenched from head to toe in blood. (laughs) (laughs) The attack on the car with the concrete cutting circular saw is ridiculous. The poor driver just gets torn to shreds. And then, like we said, I absolutely hate nasty wounds to the Achilles tendon. And we get it here with that huge chunk of glass embedded in Alex as she drags herself from harm. Plus, I like the look of the killer in this film. It's so simplistic, yet he is an imposing and terrifying figure throughout the film. And here we get him with his mangled face. And he starts to resemble some over-the-top horror villain scarred beyond recognition. It's a great finale. I've always enjoyed it. I think the home invasion is the centerpiece of this film and one of the most well-crafted home invasions ever, in my opinion. But this finale just does it for me. The gore hound in me is left satisfied. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think the ending scene would have been my second choice. And I agree with everything he said, especially about the killer and him having this like look to him by the end of it. Like he looked like he's been through some shit with the barbed wire wound scarring on him. Yeah, he does almost look like a slasher villain by the end of it. And again, it's just interesting to imagine, like, you know, he doesn't exist. This is Marie. 
or like this is what Marie is like projecting under her conscience. I don't know. Really interesting stuff, but yeah, awesome choice, man. Very cool. Well, I'm super glad you really like this film and I'm really glad we could get it done in year one of Fraternity. And before we get out of here, I just want to give a little public service announcement. Next Friday will be our season finale for year one. We started late. We're only going to get 16 episodes in. We've gone through trials and tribulations, but here we are and things just keep going up. We've got a great movie planned for you. So we hope you enjoy the episode and we hope you join us next week for our season one grand finale. I think I'm going to go listen to Muse now. Uh, I'm going to go listen to some fraternity. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Have a great night. See you all next time.